0: This podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's BlueberryWithNoEase.com. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to Transpersonal Radio with Angela Lynn Gibson. Remember, your thoughts upload your reality. Think wisely and always prepare to ignite. Welcome. Welcome to TransPersonal Radio, Transpersonalradio.com. real talk for real life, inspiring podcasts, exploring personal empowerment, empowerment. and transformation through parapsychology, spirituality, and how your thoughts Uh-oh. upload your reality. And now your host, Angela Angela L. Gibson. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash transpersonal radio. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. So I'm sitting here with Jenna Zielinski today, who uh, also has been diagnosed with uh, POTS, which is Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome, and has agreed to be interviewed and talk about her situation. Um, Jenna, where are you from, by the way? Uh, Michigan. Oh. Southwest Michigan. Okay. I've I've had another lady from Michigan this morning. It's Michigan Day. (laughs) Nice. Must be a sign I have to go to Michigan. (laughs) So your official diagnosis is POTS. Yeah. And when did
1: you first start exhibiting symptoms? Around September in 2012 is when symptoms first started showing up. Okay. And when were you officially diagnosed? In late October of the same year.
0: Wow. You're one of the lucky ones. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, lucky within context of what we have, but a lot of times people uh, suffer from this condition for years before they're diagnosed and yours was in a month. Yeah, it was nice. I mean, in a sense. (laughs) Right. No, yeah, yeah. That's great that you had a team who was on top of things. Yeah. What symptoms
1: do you deal with and how often? I'd say like the biggest symptoms are the tachycardia, fatigue, dizziness, fainting, and then a lot of gastrointestinal issues. And I pretty much deal with those on a daily basis.
0: You know, I'm glad you brought that up. You're actually the first one uh, who has mentioned the gastrointestinal challenges that a lot of people with dysautonomia experience. And again, just to reiterate for those of you who aren't aware, dysautonomia is a condition that affects the autonomic nervous system. So any of the bodily functions that don't require your thought, all of the functions that are automatic, like your heart rate, your respiration, your body temperature, all of that good stuff, including the digestive system. It's, it's all supposed to be handled without any thought on your part. And unfortunately, with people in uh, that have dysautonomia, it doesn't function properly. So yes, digestive issues are a big one. And a lot of people haven't addressed that yet. So I'm glad you brought that up. So Jenna, what is the biggest adjustment that you've had to make in your life as a result of this condition?
1: I definitely had to stop doing like sports and stuff and Definitely. And just like hanging out with friends as much too. I have to stay close to home. So if something happens, I can come back home and just relax if I need to.
0: Yes, absolutely. I, I can I can relate to that. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't go on as many spontaneous faraway excursions by myself as I used to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are your
1: triggers, Jenna? And, and how has this affected your life? My main triggers are anxiety? Well, I mean, things that make me anxious, such as like storms used to make me really anxious. And now if there's a storm, it triggers all of my symptoms, not just like anxiety anymore. And also certain types of food, such as like chocolate, which has caffeine in it mm-hmm. and things like that.
0: You know, it's interesting that you mentioned storms. And I just wanted to touch on that a little bit because even though a thunderstorm or or some type of storm in your case, Jenna, might trigger sort of an anxiety response. There's also a physiological response that occurs within the body. And uh, as a matter of fact, in several studies, it has been shown that San Diego, California is one of the best places to live for people who have dysautonomia because of the steady climate and the steady barometric pressure. Any change in barometric pressure can set off uh, the autonomic nervous system, in in our case, the parasympathetic nervous system, and start ex- and cause us to start exhibiting symptoms. So it's not just an anxiety response, which is interesting. Okay, that's good to know. Actually, I didn't know that. So you have storms and and things like
1: that. Does do you notice anything ever with heat or? Yeah, heat is a big one. Which unfortunate because it's summer right now. <laughs> yes, in Michigan. Yeah, but. <laughs> Uh, definitely heat, and sometimes cold can trigger things, too. Mm-hmm. Just the, the just the extremes of weather definitely yes. trigger everything. Yes, that makes sense. And sometimes long car rides will okay. trigger things, too. Um, so, so, like, motion sickness? Yeah.
0: So, as a result of your condition, what's the biggest adjustment that you've had to make? Now, I know you said you had to stop playing sports, but what other things have you had to, to change?
1: Well, I actually had to drop out of school because I was attending a university earlier in the year and I wasn't able to do my studies for the first semester that I got sick because it was so hard on me and I didn't know how to manage it quite yet. I'm hoping to go back this fall, but that was definitely one of the biggest things.
0: Well, let me give you a little hope there, Jenna. I actually went through a similar situation. Uh, When I was in university and as uh, listeners may or may not know, a dysautonomia is something that has a recurrence and remission type presentation. So you can go for quite some time and be symptom free and then all of a sudden out of nowhere you get hit with it and you're suffering with symptoms. When I was going to university, I actually went through a period of time where my dysautonomia really kicked up and I didn't know at the time that that's what it was. I hadn't been officially diagnosed, but I was in the hospital weekly spending, you know, a couple days, three days at a time, uh, regular emergency room visits. And of course, that very negatively impacted my studies. And so there were a few times, um, with biochemistry and organic chemistry in particular. I remember it happened to be that semester, lovely, that this was going on. And I had to take an incomplete. I believe with biochemistry, I had to take an incomplete three times. And with OCHEM, I had to do it, uh, twice because these were uh, classes that are obviously heavy, really intensive. You require, if you miss, you miss one class and you're in trouble. So I did take the incompletes. My instructors, my professors were all very understanding. And I got through university, graduated top of my class. So you can do it. It might take you a little bit longer.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm doing online classes this semester, so it will be a little bit easier because the biggest issue I had was physically getting to the class. Yes. Walking across campus to get there. So And sitting upright
0: in class. Exactly. Yeah. So when people meet you, Jenna, or you're just out and about or you're around family and friends... What do people usually assume about you? Because really dysautonomia uh, or POTS is
1: its basically an invisible disorder. So so what do you deal with? For, with my family especially, I deal with people thinking that it's not like a real disorder. So like they think that I'm just being lazy or that I'm just over-exaggerating I, or that I don't have to go to the ER. People think that it's just me making it worse Or some people just think that it's anxiety that is getting out of control. They don't think it's actually a lot of people are just in denial that it's actually like a disorder.
0: Yes. Yes. That a lot of us have experienced that. Unfortunately. Tell me a little bit about now in your case, it's interesting because again, you've had a rapid trajectory from onset of symptoms to actual diagnoses. And I'm assuming treatment. So when I ask this question, it, it might not be as varied as, as some of us who have gone through this for years. But for you, what has your experience with the medical community been like, both positive and negative, in dealing with this?
1: Well, I had positive once I found like a good medical team. But initially, when I first started getting diagnosed, a lot of the doctors wouldn't give me a referral to a cardiologist or any type of doctor at first because they thought I was just Mm over-exaggerating. They thought I was just, like I said, with my family, they thought it was an anxiety disorder, and they wouldn't listen to me when I tried to push that it was something more than that. And then eventually, after multiple times of visiting the doctor, they finally gave me a referral. And almost right away, my cardiologist gave me a stress test and uh, and a tilt table test. So they were able to figure it out right away, which is why I got diagnosed so quickly. And then I switched doctors to a specialist and he's been very helpful in like getting my treatment set up and he's been really nice. So I haven't had too many negative experiences except the doctors that don't believe POTS is an actual disorder as well. Well, I, you know, it really
0: it gives me hope and, and it's inspirational to hear that your team that you were finally connected with was on top of this and had you diagnosed within a month. And so to me, that says that we are making a difference. We are starting to get awareness out there. The, the medical community and the general population hopefully will continue to learn about this and, and people will not have to go through years of, of ups and downs and back and forth before they get treatment. So when you actually got with your team and you have your specialist now and you were diagnosed, uh, what what pharmacological interventions did they prescribe for you what medications
1: initially they started me on a beta blocker and it didn't work for me but i'm currently on a beta blocker now metoprolol which works really well for me and we're also they're also going to start prescribing me to a medication because along with pots i have like a really bad arrhythmia mm-hmm. and i forget the name of the medicine but they're going to prescribe me a medicine to help with that as well
0: Okay. And do you do any type of alternative medicine in managing your condition? No. And again, yours is such a short time period. So, you know, a lot of us who have been dealing with this for so many years, we've, we've tried just about everything you can think yeah. of you know, to help relieve symptoms. Do you do any type of preventive methods or do you do any type of, for example, for me, I have to do salt water or a lot of electrolytes, um, uh, also compression stockings and those types of interventions. Have your doctors talked to you about anything like that?
1: Yeah, I carry around like one of those big leader bottles of Gatorade yes. and I also wear compression stockings. And then if I also if I start to feel dizzy or something, I have to like sit down and squeeze like my hands and legs to try to make my blood pressure higher. Yes. Well, so I don't maneuver. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now in in going about your daily life, what would others be surprised to know about you?
1: Probably the fact that I think I, I tend to hide it pretty well from my fa- or from people the fact that I'm so drained and I think it would surprise them that just like getting in the shower can make me faint or just walking up the stairs has made me faint before or like or how it can tr- switch from being one day to so good to be the next day being almost as bad as when it first began. Yes.
0: Yes, that is definitely a struggle and one that I'm hoping people will begin to understand a little bit better through all of us sharing our stories. What do you think has been the most difficult aspect to accept about life with this condition?
1: Probably the fact that it's not a quick fix. It's not like I can take a medicine and be better right away. It's right. something that I potentially will have for a really long time, if not for the rest of my life. And that I think that was the hardest thing to accept about it is that, I just, I can't just like have the magic fix.
0: Right. Like it's not like taking antibiotics for a week and then you're done and you go on with your life.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like physical therapy and weekly IVs and stuff. Yes. Now, what's
0: one thing that you, if you had a chance to really get your voice out there, which is what we're doing right now,
1: what is one thing that you'd really like others to know? That just because people seem like lazy, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are like just because it's an invisible illness doesn't mean it's like not real I think that's what I want people to know the most I think that's a wonderful thing (laughs) for people to know like we're trying so hard sometimes and I think people don't just look right past that because they just see us laying around or they see us like sitting in chairs all day or having to like not go to places but a lot of us are trying I feel pretty hard to just get through the day absolutely That is absolutely true.
0: Just out of curiosity, I want to back up for a minute because I'm just curious. What sports were you playing prior to to you developing symptoms and having been diagnosed with this condition? Well,
1: I would run and just, I I guess I hadn't played any organized sports, but like running and going bike riding and swimming, which swimming is one of the few things I can still do on a more regular basis. But it's not, I, I can't do it at the level that I was before
0: interesting you know i'm 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 really interested the reason i asked you that is because there is a an astronomically large percentage of pots patients who prior to coming down with symptoms were highly active running and running is one of the biggest reported exercises so i find that fascinating there's a correlation a lot of cross country runners a lot of marathon runners long distance runners people that were Really active, yeah, all of a sudden come down, and that's that's what happened to me. I went from being top. I mean, I was extremely fit, I uh, was extremely active and uh, I was a runner as well. I used to run up to five miles three to you know three to four times a week. I was constantly on the go, bicycling, running, and then bam, <laughs> yeah. It hits you so quick. Oh, it, it's yeah. almost like overnight. It absolutely knocks you off your pins for sure, and so it's it's really hard for me. It's been challenging because I'm used to be. Oh, and dancing. That's one of the things that I used. To. I could go dance for hours, hours, hours on end. So going from that to at one point not even being able to get out of bed was a real shock, <laughs> to say the least. So, yeah, I'm. I understand. <laughs> So working back up from that, are you at the point where you're able to at least do walking now?
1: How are you doing? Yeah. I try. There's a track, actually, right across the road from my house. And I try to get in at least 10 minutes of, like, brisk walking. And then if I can't do that, I try to swim for a little bit. Swimming is nice because then you're not standing. It's much more relaxed than running and walking absolutely and i just want to
0: throw out there as well one of the previous interviews that i've done with a lady named angela she's a huge inspiration because she was a marathon runner then went through this ordeal with pots and she has actually come back now and is, and has been able to run a marathon yet again so she's oh wow. yes so i'm like you know just thinking it is possible <laughs> yeah yeah So that's exciting for me because I want to get back to a state where I can really, you know, be active. That's my that's my goal anyway, is to keep working through this and and try to get my body back to some state. I, I I don't know that I would ever be in the same the same fitness level I was prior, but I'd really like to be able to get back to a stronger state, a more fit state. So for you. Jenna, what has been really hard for you to give up or something that you miss doing because of this
1: disorder? I'd say that I miss, I really miss going just on like, I feel like random walks to places is something that I miss out or like spontaneous activities. Like just recently on 4th of July, I had had a day planned out where I was hanging out with friends and then all of us got invited to go to a party, but I was too sick to be able to go. Mm Mm-hmm. So things where it's, it's just very not – just I feel like I have to plan out my day now, which I never was like that before. I was very, like, spontaneous, and I wouldn't really have anything written down for the day, whereas now I feel like I'm very, like, organized with my day, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, but – it makes things less exciting, I feel like. Yes, it does. You know, and it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because I was
0: just speaking with um, the other lady from Michigan, uh, Donna, and we were talking about the, the strange paradox of the spontaneity and the planning because while you can't necessarily plan ahead anymore, you do still have to be somewhat spontaneous and flexible because you can be feeling great one minute and then really crappy the next and you never know when that's going to hit. So... So you try to do, like, tentative planning, but you never know if you're going to be able to follow through. And <laughs> Yep, exactly. <laughs> so it's really, it's it's an odd conundrum for sure. What has your illness taught you, Jenna?
1: I guess that I can pull through, even when times seem really difficult. Because I'd say that when I got sick, a lot of things changed and a lot of people. It, it sort of proves who's like your friends and who aren't your friends sort of thing. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then like relationships with people, like boyfriend stuff. So I think it proves to me that I'm actually stronger than I thought I was in a sense because I'm doing so much better now than I was back in September. Nice. Very good.
0: My next question that you've sort of answered, but you might have something to add to it, is is what is
1: something positive that has come out of your experience with this condition? I'd say that another a positive thing is that I found someone like a, a boyfriend who actually is willing to be here for me even though I am sick which I feel like can be pretty difficult but he seems to be I mean it's nice to have a person there for you that can come with you to the ER if you need it and that support I found a pretty good su- a support group oh that's wonderful this too wonderful. which not so much through my family unfortunately but like through Facebook pages and through friends. That is very
0: positive. Yes. And having a support group and having supportive family, friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, having supportive people in your life, going through a chronic illness like this is critical to quality of life. And so I would encourage any of you listeners out there who either are are suffering with the condition of dysautonomia or hemiplegic migraines or any of the related conditions or or people who know people who are going through that to try to be a little bit more understanding of one another and reach out to one another because it's it is a struggle and it's hard to really grasp the magnitude of the struggle because we don't necessarily look physically ill it's it's stuff that's going on inside and so you know just, just being a little more understanding. Jenna, what is something that has surprised you about living with your condition?
1: I guess it's something that surprised me is like how it's so day to day. It's om- it's not even day to day. It's almost hour to hour sometimes. And also things that have surprised me are the things that go along with it that I think some people wouldn't necessarily think about, such as like the gast- gastrointestinal issues. And I also have Eller Danlos, the the oh, joint disorder.
0: Yes. Uh, Talk to our listeners a little bit about Ehlers-Danlos because you're the first one who's brought that up. And so that'd be a good opportunity.
1: Ehlers-Danlos is a joint disorder and it affects the collagen. So I have type three, which is like hypermobility. And there's another part to it too. I can't remember at the moment, but it's basically makes it so I can dislocate extremely easily. And I also have joint pain a lot. Yes, almost on a daily basis. And that's why cold really affects me because cold makes my joints like creaky and hard, harder to move. And that's very unpredictable too because I can have it where days where I feel fine and then the next day I dislocate like my wrist or something. Yes.
0: What advice can you give to others with this challenge? And in particular, what would you say to someone who's
1: newly diagnosed? I would say keep fighting because once you get... The right, I feel like, plan, or, you know, sometimes it takes a really long time, but I was very lucky in finding a medication that worked for me pretty quickly. But just keep fighting and try to, like, see the positive side in things, even if it seems like there isn't one. Yes, absolutely. What
0: is one change that you would like to see in the medical community regarding your condition?
1: I'd like to see more research put towards it, more and more. Doctors actually knowing what it is, like more knowledge about it in general, because you tell some doctors that you have POTS and they have, you go to the ER sometimes and they have no idea what you have. Yes. So (laughs) they're so freaking out that your heart rate's 120 or 130 and you're like, it's normal. I just need fluids. And then they fight it and you stay there longer than you want to. And you know how to fix yourself, but the doctors don't. Yes.
0: And uh, and oftentimes you're dealing with a situation where they're just refusing to listen to you. Yep. So it, it overly complicates a situation that could be remedied rather quickly. Exactly. And, and I think you bring up a great point, really educating the medical community in general, but absolutely the frontline people, the EMTs, the emergency room physicians and nurses, you know, the people that are going to be dealing with this really uh, in, in a, an acute situation, Knowing what to do. Exactly. It's funny, we have a lot of similarities, but I also hear something interesting all the time when I ask this question. What's something that others
1: say to you about your condition that really gets under your skin and why? Something that gets under my skin is definitely that it's just anxiety. I've had family members tell me this and doctors tell me this and friends. Everyone's like, you're just anxious. You're just having a panic attack. And it's like, no, I'm not it's an everyday thing and people just think that it's almost like me bringing it upon myself. Yes. And that really bothers me because so it's almost like people just don't want to think that you have a disorder when they say that. They just want to blame it on something that's a quick fix.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think part of that is innocent enough in that it's, it's really not well understood and I think part of it is out of concern, you know, they, they want you to feel better. So they're like,
1: well, it's just stress. Just get over it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they, and then it's just like, it's just like, but I can't.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and I'm, you know, sometimes when I'm in that situation, I'm thinking, well, I wasn't stressed, but I am now. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what message would you like to get across to others on the outside so that it helps them to get it?
1: it's hard it it took a long time for me to get some of my friends it took an er visit for a a lot of my friends to see that it was a real disorder so i guess i would just tell other people to maybe try to put the other person's shoes on for a day or just don't be so quick to judge yes
0: if your friends or family or even just somebody that you happen to come across in your day-to-day, say on campus at university or what have you. And someone says, you know, I, I don't understand what's going on with you. What is POTS? What is that? What would you say to them?
1: Well, first I'd probably explain like the whole postural orthostatic static tachycardia syndrome thing and give them like the medical rundown. But then I'd probably give them like what it is to me personally, such as fainting and the just the tachycardia and the just the feeling of fatigue constantly because it's so hard to i feel like it's so hard to explain it to someone sometimes because it is so different person to person yes some people i feel like can live or don't even notice it all the time and other people's it's so severe
0: absolutely true and and it it can change throughout a lifetime as well i've i've been through as I mentioned before, I've been through periods of time where I've been bed bound for a month or two at a time and, and that's my whole life <laughs> to being completely fit and being able to you know do all kinds of different things. But it's unpredictable as we were talking about before. That's one of the challenges with, with dysautonomia is it is so unpredictable. If you could be on a board of directors or you could be part of a, a team who is deciding how to raise awareness what would you suggest to raise awareness for dysautonomia or POTS?
1: I'd probably suggest—I don't know—probably get like a bigger celebrity or like a talk show to get it out there. Because I've—I've I've thought about setting up walks, sort of like a, you know like they do for a lot of things and. That would and that would be nice, too. But I feel like you'd get a lot of awareness if you could get like bigger news stations or bigger radio stations to talk about it.
0: Nice. Yes, absolutely. And and that's uh, part of what I'm trying to do with this series of podcasts and podcasts. And- talking with other people who are going through similar situations with dysautonomia and uh, POTS in particular, and also hemiplegic migraines is, uh, you know, hoping to bring awareness to the forefront so that we're talking about this as much as we're talking about diabetes or cardiovascular disease or cancer, getting the awareness out there so that we can get the research going so that we can get to the bottom of this and have not just a treatment for the symptoms, but actually hopefully eventually find a cure for this.
1: Exactly, yes.
0: Jenna, is there anything else you'd like to share with us today?
1: I guess one thing that I would have mentioned when I was saying symptoms is that symptoms can sometimes be like scary in a sense because I feel like symptoms are sometimes, it feels like you're going to have a heart attack almost sometimes. Absolutely, yes, it is scary. Because your heart is just going so fast and you can get chest pain sometimes. And it's just like when I've gone to the ER before, it's been. I, I legitimately feel like I'm dying sometimes where it's just awful. And that's just something I think I would have said, I, I, I thought about as we were talking through it. Well, I'm glad
0: you brought that up. And you're actually the first one to mention that as well. And I appreciate it. It is a scary experience when you're going through these episodes because postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome in particular, it can absolutely feel like you're having a heart attack when you are having chest pain, and you're having shortness of breath, and you're sweating, and you're having some aches and pains, and the chest pain is incredible, pressure and sharp pain, as well as your heart feeling like it's literally going to beat right out of your chest, and the high heart rate, it's very scary. And, you know, when you're also in and out of consciousness at the same time, You do feel like you're dying, and you do wonder, you know, is this it? (laughs) You know, (laughs) or is this going to trigger an actual heart attack? You know, yeah. Um, So yes, it is scary, and for you as well. You mentioned that you have arrhythmias, so that's a little bit, even a little more, have a little bit more anxiety about that. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, even for me, where I have, you know, structurally, I have a very healthy heart. I have the, you know, I have a slight heart murmur, but overall, my heart itself is is very healthy and it pumps as it should. However, of course, with this autonomia, the electrical signal is not working properly. So yeah, it gets a little scary when you're thinking, okay, my heart's not getting the right electrical signal. Well, is it just going to stop? You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it is. It is scary. And so again, you know, sharing that kind of information and, and getting people to understand that, you know, this is the stuff that we're going through is real. And At the same time, it's interesting with the whole anxiety component, when you are going through this, I know for myself, I need to really be aware and keep myself from spiraling into anxiety when that's happening, because that will
1: make it worse. Exactly. And then exactly. If you if you let your anxiety get a hold of you, your heart rate goes so much higher, too. Yes. Yes absolutely
0: so just trying to in the midst of one of those episodes remain as calm as possible and knowing it it will pass it will pass you know right Um, but it's not fun no it is not (laughs) (laughs) well jenna i really appreciate you taking time to speak with me today and and no uh, problem okay you have a great day you too okay thank you I want to give a shout out to Steve Schoen, an accomplished professional voice actor and audio producer who created my new intro and outro for Transpersonal Radio. Steve is based out of the Sacramento, California area. If you'd like to hire Steve for voiceover work, you can find him at soundsofmyvoice.com. That's Sounds with an S, soundsofmyvoice.com. Steve is also an event entertainer and wedding DJ. If you want to liven up your event with a truly talented and fun personality, check out sacramentoweddingdj.com. You can also find Steve on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash That's S-C-H-O-N. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Trans- TransPersonal Radio. If you'd like to suggest a future, future topic or be a, be a guest, visit TransPersonalRadio.com. Call the hotline at 619-800-6057 or,
1: or like our page, Facebook.com slash TransPersonal Radio.